Left. Right. Yo, what's up, Zip Talk guys? Uh, late night for me. I'm working on this last episode of the podcast. Really, the title of the podcast comes from the idea that you may love the movies, you may love the idea of the movies, but if you don't go to the movies, they're just it's just not going to be there for you. And uh, so, me, a lot of things that are disappearing like that just because our current society doesn't support it, and it's a shame for companies like AMC and Regal and Lowe's. But realistically, you know, they don't have the demand. People can watch movies at home and. While the movies in person are better, is it worth paying that much money, going out of your way, going with a group of friends every time you want to see a movie? Or are we just, just naturally consuming movies at home? Um, and yeah, I get it. It sucks. You know, it's just over the next 10 years, just like the drive-in movies, great places to go, nice to chill in your car, you get some food, you get to hang out in the car, surround sound. How many drive-in movie theaters you know of? Either way. Listen out to the podcast. Let me know what you think. I appreciate you guys so far that have been watching us regularly. You know who you are. Um, and I, I really do truly appreciate that. I see some subscribers on Spotify, which is awesome. Thank you so much for that, guys. Um, and, you know, we just keep cruising on with this podcast. So if it wasn't for people like you who are subscribing and liking the episodes, we wouldn't keep doing it. So thank you for those of you who are and uh, those of you who are new. Please do subscribe. We appreciate the support. Uh, genuinely, genuinely uh, appreciate the support. And uh, enjoy the episode. I'll see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. to Sip Talk. This is episode 108 of Sip Talk. My name is Justin DiGiulio. I am joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. The Bosnator is a professional bartender, a professional referee, an accountant, and a philosopher. Big titles there, exciting titles. Um, what we were just talking about was traveling to Asia. We were talking about cultural differences. You know what I learned recently, though? is that if you dig straight through earth, like if you were just where, you know, where, wherever you are right now, just dig straight down, you would not end up in China. You'd end up in the Pacific ocean somewhere in, in the Southern hemisphere. I don't know well, why I never. Yeah. Yes, obviously, but I don't know why, <laughs> but it never occurred to me that you would end up in the Southern hemisphere. I mean, I guess if I thought about it, probably, uh, you know, hold on one second, actually conveniently, Conveniently, I have a globe here. Um, no, I just I just looked up and there's actually a globe sitting here. So just uh, just off the coast of Australia, really, you'd be uh, you'd be closer to Australia, way closer to Australia than China. I just would have assumed you would have yeah, been. Yeah, I think China, wouldn't it be like South America that would be pretty close to opposite China? Somewhere in like Brazil or Argentina? Let's see. Um, 
No, I still think there's an incredible amount of ocean uh, over there. So let's see. Uh, you would be you would be a little west of, of South America, but there is a huge amount of Pacific Ocean there. So I'm looking uh, up. I, there's a <laughs> I think I can do an antipodal point calculator. Oh, it, 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 wonderful. But no, I just think most people think if you dig you know, straight through the earth, you end up in China. That's something you hear as a kid. Uh, I recently learned that it's not true. And uh, I can't believe that I thought that because when you actually think about it, you just obviously China is in the northern hemisphere. We are in the northern hemisphere. It wouldn't uh, wouldn't make sense. Uh, if you guys are listening and you want to. What's up, Tori? Uh, if you guys want to call in, you need to text 212. I was right. Argentina for parts of it. And I was in the middle of giving a phone number. Someone who listens to a lot of voicemails. That was very inconvenient. Uh, 212-239-1839 to call in. Uh, what are you drinking down there, James? I have the trifecta going of Cuddy Shark, boxed wine, and of course, bush ice. <laughs> um, wonderful. I'm going to do a little uh, scotch and, uh, and Pepsi. And uh, I have a lime. I don't usually like lime with my scotch, but I, I just cut it up kind of in preparation that I never really worked at the whiskey versus scotch situation. So I got about a half bottle left. I was, I was told last time I drank pretty quickly. So hmm. I had two of these bottles. There's about a half bottle left. Um, so update as of last episode, we were talking about the JBS meat plant uh, update as of Tuesday. We're recording this on a Thursday. They are back online. Told you all not to panic. Yeah. Um, the restaurant I went to for lunch, though, said they were out of beef. So that was that was a little weird that they'd be out of out of beef. Well, you shouldn't have panic bought it. <laughs> I think they should have panic bought it, actually, because there was no beef. Um, but, yeah, they. Uh, they said they resumed. I didn't I didn't get any. I wasn't able to find any details of how they got out of this hack, but. Uh, it's you know it sounds like you know we're going to have a summer full of meat which is i think having a meatless summer would actually be more exciting than having a coronavirus summer just i think you know be something i'd be more tuned in with watching people make stupid decisions and scream at each other about masks to me you know it's a bit silly i don't think we're done with that yet i don't think we're done with it either but i'd rather watch people beat each other up over hamburger meat in the grocery store and beat each up, beat each other up over whether somebody's mask is covering their fucking nose or not. Like, just, God, everybody. The thing about that is that it's people's opportunity to exercise authority over other people. If you're walking down the sidewalk, or you're walking through a store, somebody's mask is under their nose. What the fuck do you care? You, unless you're going to get right on top of them. Like, it's not your pol- it's not your place to police them and, and, and be the authority and put them in their place. Um so, uh, and oh, Rosh is correcting me. You have to text the 212 number. You can't call it, <laughs> right? Uh, you got to text 212-239-1839 and uh, you'll be sent a link for the call-in feature to the podcast. If you guys have questions, um, I see Gabby Torch. Uh, join me with an old-fashioned. Ooh, I had a rough day. I could have, you know, an old-fashioned really would have been a, a nice one for me. I guess uh, I'm just ill-prepared right now. Old-fashioned uh, would be good. Old-fashioned would be good, right? 
I don't think I have any orange here. I've got orange bitters, though. I've got the whiskey. I've got bitters. I've got sugar. Well, having that the orange uh, oil, you know, and you kind of crack the the orange rind over the the orange peel over the the glass. I think really that to me makes the old. Well, I, I can come close to that with the with using orange bitters instead. What do you do? Just kind of rinse it around the around the rim. Because yeah, or just cup, add a couple dashes of orange bitters. Yeah, but you don't get the the aroma from them as intensely as you do. So you definitely would need you need something. Um, so look, so a few things I want to talk about. Have you uh, have you seen the AMC stock over the last twenty four hours? Yeah, I own two hundred shares that are optioned out at sixteen, which th- that option sell cost me at one point like ninety five hundred dollars. That went right over my head. Uh, I think I got it, but uh, does that mean you bought them around 16? No, I bought them in the mid 14s about three months ago and sold options on them a whole bunch and was able to make like probably close to a thousand dollars in options um, while still holding the shares. Then, about a week and a half ago, the Stark st- stock started to make a run up and it went from like 10 or 11 to 12 to 13 and so i was sitting on 200 shares and i was like all right cool i'm already in the positive here because all the option selling that i've been doing so it was trading at 13 and i sold 16 dollar calls on that which meant that i had the obligation to sell at 16 Mm -hmm. and i got like 150 bucks per option times two contracts so i got like 300 bucks for taking on the liability to sell at 16 i was like it might run a little higher than 16 but Usually when it has these little runs, it'll just kind of come back down. And instead of coming back down, it just kept going. So at one point, those options, the difference between what I could have sold AMC for and what I was forced to sell AMC for was about $50 a share times 200 shares, about $10,000. So if I hadn't sold those options, I would have been able to sell for about $10,000 higher than I'm going to be forced to sell in about two weeks. Mm see well let's let's see where this goes i think it's definitely something we need to talk about in the next episode um when did you originally buy them you said a couple months ago yeah let's say late january gamestop time same time that i bought gamestop understood understood just wanted to give a shout out to you guys on tiktok i know my line of sight is here but you tiktok guys are over here so try to keep on top of the on top of the comments there was a uh it's a big argument on uh, the last episode of, of TikTok. Um, there was a little cat fight over you, James. Um, okay. Well, I, what in the world happened? I just thought I'd share that. I, you know, I, I wasn't able to save the uh, the back and forth, but well, just but give me was, the lowdown. Well, you know, there was a there was a kind of he's mine. No, he's mine, and and. These were just the comments, but it went back and forth for for a little while. I thought, you know, ladies, be... there's plenty of disappointment to go around. <laughs> I th- I thought that'd be a nice thing to share. I thought you'd like to hear that. Um, so if you ever end up on the internet, and uh, well, I'm on the internet right now in some capacity. To some capacity, um, yeah, you're just not as engaged with a TikTok audience as I am. I, I, I'm not engaged with them at all. I, I I would like to be engaged with them, but. Um, all right, so 
Yeah, so I, but I saw the AMC hit 87 uh, as a high. Standard by 50. no 67. I thought I saw 87. I thought 67. did it really hit 87? There's yeah, I uh, I uh, I, lo- I looked up. I said 87 was a high. Yesterday it closed at about like 60 something. I think it was 62 or 60 67 something like that. No, but, uh, it didn't hit 87 because I'm looking at the it's five day chart right now, and its high was about 69 or so. All right, all right. Well, it's about 51 now, so I'm really curious. I'm just you know. I, the movie industry, I don't think everybody loves the movies. I just don't think they're going to be profitable anymore. And I think it's, it's going to be really difficult. You know, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Um, we're just, you, and you're really just losing tradition. You're not really losing that much. It, it's, it's an experience, but it's not, it's not that amazing of an experience. You know, it's, and, and a lot of people just don't go to the movies. A lot of people don't go to the movies for years on end. So the fact that we are forced not to go to the movies, if someone was in the habit of going to the movies, which were your, your probably people that were supporting the movie, movie industry the most, they've fallen out of habit. Um, and then your, your people that go once, maybe twice a year, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be, you're lucky if, if they continue that trend. So. The reason why AMC has had this run over the last couple of days has absolutely nothing to do with people that, wanting that, to go back to movies. Well, that I'm very much aware of. What I'm saying is that AMC as the company, irregardless of the stock price, is not uh, the movie industry is not something that's going to be around for very long unless unless they change some things up wildly, which I don't see. Well, happening. The run of thing- the stock, the run of the stock completely unrelated to amc outside of the fact that there are some people that like nostalgia and they want to build up the stock to make some money on it well there's some positives with amc if you look at just the fundamentals of the company and its management um their ceo has done a good job of one capitalizing on the increased attention on the shares by using the higher share price to sell more stock to the public to raise operating capital because they got slammed in the last year. We all know this. And so the, the, the CEO has pivoted very quickly to be able to raise money off of the increased attention. The CEO is also looking at finding ways to reward people that have bought shares because the people buying the shares have what, are really what has saved the company. So the CEO seems like he's got a positive marketing strategy and is responding to all this attention in a good way and it from the limited research i've done upper management amc seems to have a good plan moving forward the other thing is movies are still profitable because there there's something different about going to a movie theater than watching a movie streaming from home but no i don't matter how think, nice I don't your think setup they're that is, profitable i don't think they're that profitable i think that's the issue well, that's why I think it's very difficult to make a comeback when you've been running at a loss for so long. Sure, you have the stronghold on the market, but the fact that movies are going straight to Netflix or straight to HBO and as of coronavirus, caught out the movie theaters completely. So I don't know why they would go back. But if they're going straight to these platforms, yeah, the experience is there. I like driving a gas consuming vehicle because I like the sound of an engine. I like driving a manual transmission because I enjoy driving and feeling the engine. But guess what? In another decade, almost every car manufacturer is no longer going to make vehicles that burn gasoline 
and allow you to manually shift them. So it's just, it's not in it for me, you know, unless I want to buy my own movie theater and stream my own movies, which I'm sure some places will do, but it's not going to be at AMC or Lowe's or uh, I don't know any of the other movies. I'm so out of tune with the movie theaters. I don't even know other, what, what are some good, what are some movie theater brands? AMC, Regal, Lowe, Regal. What else? It's uh, the only two I know of. Yeah, that's that's all I can think of. But you might have your your kind of independent show houses that have, you know, two, three, four theaters. But you're not going to have these Mega Max, uh, eighteen, thirty, thirty theater movie theaters anymore because I don't think it'll be profitable. You know, there's still going to be people probably selling newly manufactured gasoline engines, but not at, at a mass market in the future. So I just I don't I see it phasing out. But what so what are they doing with this with this new money that they're getting? Well, one of the things they're doing, I'm looking at their financials right now. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and so in 2018, all right. So in the past three years, their interest expense. So they're heavily leveraged. They've got a lot of debt. You're in seeing 20, the comments from from Kyle Lehman here. Thank you, Kyle. About the eleven and a half million shares. Yeah. No. And, and, and so thank that, you, that, Lisa, for the IMAX. IMAX was one we missed. But yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm curious what you got there. So in 2018, 19, and 20, their interest expense to service their debt was three hundred million. Okay. Um 2018, their net income was 110 million. 2019, they lost 149. 2020, they lost 4.6 billion dollars. Now, 2020, we can understand why. Is yeah, but if, the, if they if they made 110 grand, they lost 150 grand, and then they lost two billion. Like, how many years do you have to make 110 grand, lose 100? No, no, 110 grand? million. So 110 million. I'm, I'm sorry, lose I'm sorry, 150 yeah, million. Ex- ex- excuse, uh, excuse me speaking from numbers that might apply to myself. I'm, I'm okay. I'm but, thinking as a small business owner, I was completely off the mark by a multiple of, of uh, 10. So, okay. Well, anyways, what I'm looking at is like in 2019, they lost 149 million, $300 million were pissed away on interest in 2019. If they didn't have that interest expense in 2019, they would have been profitable in 2019. We're going to throw 2020 numbers out because but that's a big loss. How do you it, come back from that loss? Well, what, the, the let, thing let, here, here, if, if I gave you $15 one day and then I you had to pay me $20 the next day and then I gave you $12 the next day and then I only took $10 the next day and then. The, the fifth day, I said, okay, you owe me uh, $168. And you're like, well, yeah, but I, I've only been making, you know, over the course of the different days, you know, four to $6. Right. I owe you 168 So, so we're talking about huge magnitude here. Uh, in we the are. That they lost. But they, the way that they're able to, serve, like, first of all, the, they were able to afford the loss in 2020 by initially taking on even more debt. They took on a lot of long-term debt to be able to pay for their operating expenses through the year. Well, they were able to afford it. They were able to outlast the debt. They were able to spend the money they needed to. But if that trend continued, they would be out of business. Okay. But now they've been able to sell a tremendous amount of equity, which they don't need to repay. 
as Kyle Lehman said, a billion dollars in the last week of fresh stock sales. So they've been able to take their increased share price and be able to turn that into operating cash. And one of the things that they're going to be doing with that operating cash is probably paying down debt. That's a, that's which is, in my opinion, a huge shame for a business because I had one year where I had to pay back a ton of debt for the business. And I spent all this money thinking that the trend of us continuing to make money would keep going. So I paid off all this debt and I had very little left over at the end of the year. And then we had, so we had a great year. I was able to pay off all this debt. And then the following year sucked and I hadn't banked a bunch of money. So what I'm curious is how they're going to spend the money, how much they're going to lay into the debt and what they're going to do to turn around the trend. Because if they were, if they made 120 million, they lost 150 million. And then, you know, and then obviously losing 2 billion is a one-off, but. Well, if we look at like their gross profit and their operating income. So 2018 and 2019, they made about $5.5 billion in revenue and their cost of goods sold was about 4.6. So in 2018, they had gross profit of a billion. In 2019, they had gross profit of about 840 million. Now they've got operating income, which is going to be like general administrative expenses and other operating expenses. I don't have a lot of detail because I'm just looking at kind of top view finances. But in 18 and 19, 2018, their operating income was 265 million. In 2019, it was 136 million. So in non-COVID years, they had profitable operations. So the idea is, if they can get back to profitable operations by having people actually go into theaters and buying things, then this is a company that can be profitable. What are the obstacles to profitability? One is the ability to recover from COVID. Two is the cost of servicing their debt. If they can use this equity financing to service their debt and reduce their interest expense, and they can use the remaining money to continue funding them like expanding their theaters and getting more places out there and marketing and everything, then they'll be able to get back to positive operations. Sure. But I look at it like a, a gasoline consuming vehicle. I think, I, I think it's going away. When was the last time you went to the movies? I'm not the right person to ask. I don't like going to the movies. <laughs> exactly. My point. Exactly. My point. But I'm, I'm an outlier here. You know, I how many people you, in my office you... I've talked to that are just like, we can't wait to go back to the movies. We love going to the movies. Every, I'm like wonder, the only person but, in my office I, that doesn't like going to the movies. I wonder how often they actually go to the movies. There's lots of things that when you can't do it, you really want to do it. Like, that's great. You know, I, I really, you know, for me, when I started looking at buildings to live in, I realized there's a ton of buildings that had pools in them. So I was like, oh, that would be something I'd really love to do. I'd love swimming. I'd love swimming. You know how many times I swam in my, in my last building that I lived in for six years? Twice. Zero. So it doesn't matter what people say they like to do. That's, you know, that's. Yeah. I, well, I can tell you, like, two movies. of my best friends in Charleston go to the movies all the time. They go like once or twice a month. That is a if lot. If not more often. To me, that's a lot. I go to but, the movies during non-COVID times. I would go to the movies once or twice a year. If that. Um, we get a comment from Raj saying, by the way, they make fake engine sounds for electric cars now. Which it's not the same, which to me, when I was younger, I, I don't know if we talked about this before, but when I was younger, we bought a 
little grandmother clock that like hangs on the wall. And it looked like a real clock, but it didn't have actual chimes. They were just fake. It played an electronic chime sound in place of the real chimes. And uh, I, you know, I, I feel like maybe if you listen to it now, you wouldn't think that much of it. But at the time, there weren't clocks that played fake chime sounds. And it sounded to me so fake and so terrible. We ended up just turning it off because you couldn't listen to this, the fake chime sound of this fake clock. So it's, you know, authenticity is worth something. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, and the, and then Rod here he's saying about uh, Burger King making a plant based burger that tastes like meat to keep their existing clients. Um, uh, all right, I haven't tried it. I'm not going to. But my point is that I don't think that AMC has a failing business model. I think that there are aspects for those of you out there who like movies. You'll acknowledge that there's a big difference between staying home and watching movies on whatever setup you have at home versus going into a theater and being in a large dark room with a giant screen and a top level sound system and popcorn and and popcorn and and everything else. And also like when you're watching a movie in a movie theater, most of the time, it's a new movie for all of you. None of you have seen anything about this movie. So you're having this experience of something with everybody else at the same time. It's the same thing as going to a live concert when like you've listened to all these bands songs, but seeing I, I will the band give you, pro- I will, I, produce I will. the music live and being around other people that also like that band is something that you can't replicate any other way. I will give you the live concert venue comparison to the movie theater it's in my head there's a difference somehow i don't know exactly what it is but i but also a lot of people don't go to concerts that often so yeah but uh, for the people that like music just like the people that like movies there's nothing to compare to the experience of going and seeing it in the venue that's designed for it and lisa's lisa's saying that she used to manage an imax and she says that there's nothing like rush i think rush used to manage an imax oh (laughs) <laughs> well you know what lisa congratulations on your promotion to imax manager <laughs> um yeah right saying you know, that's, that's that's me oh, um no. yeah no he actually my point is i think that amc i don't think that it's worth 50 dollars a share i don't think it's worth 30 dollars a share but i don't think it's worth zero dollars a share well, i'd like to i'd like to see them do well i just look at a, a you know a, a company that i don't partake in very often and everybody complains about the cost of movie tickets and people like going, but they just don't go that much. Like I like swimming and complain about the high cost in, of rent in a luxury building. I don't actually complain about it, but, but it, you know, it's not cheap. And, and then yet yeah, I never went swimming. So it, it, I don't know. You know I, and, and I think there's fewer and fewer buildings that put pools in the buildings because it's a pain in the ass to manage and keep up and running. And you can just have a roof deck or even an empty room and call it a basketball court. And it's, you know, and people are way more attracted to that. So, um, and I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm pulling for them. I think I, I like what the CEO has done. I think he's been really positive about this whole thing. And I'm, I'm happy that additionally, this last run in the last week has cost short biller, short sellers somewhere between three and $5 billion. 
because you don't like short sellers. No, nobody likes short sellers. <laughs> like, you, who are the short sellers? You've got some small amount of retail that that does short selling. Whatever. Most of short selling occurs at the institutional level by people that are like by big hedge funds. That, yeah, that that are hoping that are manipulating them. the market to be able to bilk retail investors. Nobody has any sympathy for them. Yeah, no, I, like, I, I have no sympathy for someone who's making five million dollars a year by fleecing retail investors. So when they when those guys get soaked as they did in January and as they are right now, even though I'm not making a ton of money off of it, I'm seeing other people making money off of hedge funds getting soaked, and it's great. <laughs> um, all right, let me let me pivot a little bit. Uh, let's see. Oh, one of the things I wanted to address, we were talking about viruses and hackers last time. And, you know, I I realized after we got offline that you were saying, yeah, if you were hacked, you'd be able to get it back under control in a day because your data is saved in the cloud. And Oh, yeah, my office. It would probably be a two-day process. If we got really hacked, we'd probably be down for about two days. Let me ask you this. What if you were hacked, didn't know it, and they slept on you for three months or an entire year or two years. Well, they'd be able to steal a whole bunch of data that's highly sensitive. Yes, yes, they would. And... But I don't know how much they'd be able to really monetize that because fraud protection is really good right now. So like, if we've got clients where I've got banks. What about compromising your systems? What about compromising your systems where you lose all of your people's data? But we wouldn't. I'm telling you that we have backups. So even if they tried to wipe our entire hard drive, at most, they'd be able to wipe one server's drives and that would immediately trigger detection. And we've got backup drives that might be at most a day out of date. So we would lose, if this happens on a Wednesday, then we would have lost tuesday's work and we'd have to go back to the instance that happened on monday night and be like all right i guess we got to redo some stuff that we did on tuesday you don't think they could they could sleep on you long enough to figure out where you guys back up and get control of those things they might be able to but the problem is if they try they're not going to be able to simultaneously wipe each one and as soon as they start trying to wipe one it'll have a lockout process that'll prevent the other servers from being touched Sounds easily hackable or roundable. But, Think about but, it like a building that has a fire detection system where when a fire is detected in one room, fire doors shut, preventing the fire from spreading. Sure, but somebody could create a system in each room to ignite after a certain amount of time. You could put something in a room that's going to go off and all the rooms go up in flames, especially if you had a year's worth of time in advance. And you're not physically present I mean, in the rooms. Sure, I'm just, anything I'm just is possible. Saying, yeah, I'm just but saying. But the more, I, the, 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 more, the more extravagant you make the hack, the less likely it is to occur, and the more likely we will be to able to detect it before it does true damage. Because the longer you're in a system, because I also know that like logins are tracked. So anytime I log into the system, I am certain that either the technology company that manages our firm our firm's IT or the the two people in the firm that kind of deal with IT matters, I'm sure that they could pull a report and see every time that I logged in and be able to see at some high level view the things that I was accessing. 
Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I'm just so if they're going to see get, if, if someone tries to hack and they're trying to get in, they're like they're going to see we've got some random, we've got access from an IP that we're not familiar with, and get, we don't well, understand get, what happened. I get that. What I'm saying is, there's these giant companies being hacked, and I'm sure they believe that they have good systems in place. And I think, you know, I, I just, yeah, I think there's a lot of people in your situation saying the same thing and, what I'm telling and, you is, and they're getting screwed. I think your assumption is wrong. There's a lot of companies that will do like penetration testing and stuff like that. And then they'll get the reports back from the people that they pay to hack their systems. I hire you to hack my system so that you can tell me all the flaws and vulnerabilities in my system. You do that. You hack into the system. You do your thing. And at the end, you give me a report and say, here's all the things that I was able to do. And here's the steps that you can take to prevent it. Very often, companies will get that report and then cost out how much it's going to cost them to make these changes and then decide not to do it because they feel that the risk of getting hacked is lower than the cost of them implementing the changes recommended by the White Hats. And you can yeah. see this pattern over and over again with any of these major hacks is that somebody at some point told the company, hey, this is a problem. This is a vulnerability. You really need to fix it. And then somebody above them saying, no. Um, I, I also learned that uh, the New York City subways were, uh, were hacked in April, um, but they managed to it kind of subvert the the hackers and it didn't interrupt service. But I think hacking, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. I think this is kind of just the beginning. Well, sure. And, it, you know, I, I just it, think it's I, a constant battle because hackers are only getting better and security is only getting better. And it's, it's a, it's a constant arms race. And as we become ever more dependent on automated systems then you're going to have an ever-increasing level of targets to try and hack. And with the whole Internet of Things, like I bet that if I really wanted to, I could probably just try and, and hack someone's random refrigerator and have it order them a whole bunch of mayonnaise. Like have them order like $300 worth of mayonnaise from their refrigerator. If I really yeah. wanted to, if that's what I wanted to spend the next month of my life doing, I could probably so, figure out how to do it. Someone's uh, Alexa-enabled refrigerator. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually imagine that there's got to be very low security on these new smart devices. Like, no, there totally is. There was a Las Vegas casino that had its entire system hacked oh, no. by That's an awesome. internet enabled aquarium thermometer. Wow. There was, a, there was an aquarium thermometer that was connected to the casino's intranet. And they were able to connect with the aquarium thermometer. Yeah. I, and I, then through the thermometer, they were able to gain access to the rest of their computer systems. And I don't know what they were able to do with it because I stopped reading at that point. I just thought it was hilarious that it was an, it was an internet enabled aquarium thermometer that was enough of a vulnerability that they were able to get into the rest of the computer systems. And yeah, who knows? I wonder how you would detect for that or well like, I mean, 
You, you don't, are you talking on the hacker side or the company side? On the company side. I imagine, you know, now they're enacting ways to deal with that, but. Well, you're going to have automated access policies where you're going to, when, when certain files are accessed, you're going to have kind of different levels of quarantine where let's say the permissions for initiating bank transfers. Those are probably going to be at the highest level because that's direct financial data. So yeah. you would probably have some kind of a system where anytime a banking file is accessed, it's going to trigger an alert on the system. And so you could probably circumvent that alert by if I'm the, the CFO of the company, maybe I have a login and I can log into that file and it won't send off an alert because I'm the one who logged in and I have permission to look at that. But any other time that those files are accessed, maybe it sets off an alarm and a firewall that says, okay, well, we're shutting down the whole system because this file was accessed without the pro appropriate permissions. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, shout out to Lils who said, uh, hey, haven't seen you guys in a while. Uh, but yeah, I, I do see a couple of you guys on TikTok um, just saying hi. Uh, again, to pivot, because there's a few things that I, I took some notes. I just wanted to bring up because enjoy your perspective. Uh, but I was hoping to get David's perspective on this. We'll have uh, to wait till next week. Who is missing. But apparently it looks like California is lined up for pretty severe drought weather this summer. Yep. And already they're saying that the reservoirs are 50% lower than they are on average. Yep. And uh, hydroelectric plants could be forced to shut down uh which could kill a lot of electricity to certain areas that are yeah there's hydro. gonna probably be rolling brownouts and blackouts this summer and california's biggest challenge is its water management yeah well your brother is in sacramento and i read that that is you know there was a map of kind of highlighted areas and that seemed to be one of the worst ones so I'm very, I'm very, I'm very curious, like how it's going to go this summer. It's definitely, it's not looking good, you know. Well, one thing that he's considering is since he can work remote. Um, now he's currently in, in an interview process for a promotion with this company, so his role is likely going to be changing relatively soon. Mm -hmm. But I would, so I don't know if he's going to be able to continue to work remote he might actually have to move to San Diego and so either Tuesday or Thursday of next week, he can give us the rundown of how everything went with his interviews with this company. And I'm hoping that he got the job because that'd be great. Yeah. Um, but assuming that he can still work remotely, he might actually come to Charleston for like a month at the end of the summer, because during fire season one, it's really hot outside and his apartment doesn't ventilate very well. So it gets to like 90 to 95 degrees inside his apartment. That's wild. Um, and also going outside isn't a good option because one, it's like 100 or 105 degrees outside. And during fire season, it's hazardous for your health to be outside for any period of time. And he's like being stuck inside for days on end. Smell and it smells like smoke inside, too. And yeah, it's super it's hot and uncomfortable. He's like, I can work remote. I'll just come to Charleston. You got a house. You got space. Let's go. I would right. not want to be in California in a in a bad area during fire season. Well, in Sacramento it, itself it, won't burn, but everything around it will. Yeah, and that shit travels through the air. So, mm -hmm. um, 
why, why so he man. we might be doing some podcasts tandem in in later in the summer i don't know he still hasn't figured it out yet but my offer to him is outstanding and it's it's wild that it gets that hot out there just kind of considering the latitude um I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, so Sacramento is uh, at about the same latitude as Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, which which Richmond does not get quite as hot as Sacramento. Am I no, but it's it? a very different environment because Sacramento is kind of a desert. Yeah. Um, interesting. I'd like to get David's take on that. And, and this is not his first summer out there, right? No, it, it's his, his second summer first and a half he moved there in like late august of last year like mid or late august of last of two years ago so yeah he moved in 2019 so he got there let's say mid-august so he got a little bit of the summer but not a ton of it yeah yeah uh, Rosh just forwarded something for, about Nostradamus predicted California destruction by earthquake 2021. Oh, sure. No, the, the, the Nostradamus predictions are like we might as well just like buy the National Enquirer and ask about Obama's alien baby or something. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you make enough predictions, some of them are, are bound to come true. And right. Especially over a long enough amount of time with a bit of ambiguity. Um, um so uh, on the California note, um, this is maybe more a little Texas or something, but I read about uh, Mexican cartels and uh, they're using drones. They're, using, they're weaponizing drones. And some of these cartels have fleets of drones that they're using basically to, to bomb uh, other, other cartels and, and the police and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? That I mean, to me, that seems like a really not surprising to me. It seems, yeah, and, it seems very plausible and so, and like something that actually could become like bigger and a, a larger threat and and just why like well, think the cartels that. have so much money that they can afford to do these kinds of things, and I don't I don't know how you go about combating the cartels because. In Mexico, the cartels are arguably as powerful as the government, if not more powerful. Well, the, I mean, the thing is, you, it's difficult to compare it to a place like the United States, because the United States, we basically, for the vast majority of us, agree that there are rules and we're going to play by the rules and we're good with that. But in a place where there's never really been any agreement on the rules, um, you know, when it's just kind of always been a hot zone for uh guns and drugs and uh here's one potential solution and hear me out okay the cartels make the majority of their money trafficking drugs to the united states and the reason why they make that money is because they're illegal in the united states and they have the the means to be able to circumvent all the different safeguards that we have in place to prevent drugs from coming in. I, I, this is actually when you said, hear me out on this one, I, this is exactly where I thought you were going, but, but go ahead. So if the United States were to legalize or decriminalize the vast majority of drugs and have a regulated drug industry where the drugs are produced in the United States by United States companies, 
then that would undercut the cartel's market and it would kill their revenue. And without revenue, they don't have much of a reason to exist. Now, this plan well, has so- its problems. Okay. But if you're looking to combat the cartels, you have to hit them financially. And well, I don't think I think the vast majority of Americans aren't concerned with the fact that cartels exist. They're more concerned with the fact that drugs exist. Most most people in the United States, you know, they 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 think of their issues with the drugs, not with the cartels, because the cartels so drugs intrinsic, are the, the cartels illegal. don't. Yes, but the, the cartels don't really pose any risk to people in the U.S. except they supply us with drugs. So if we're now well, supplying ourselves with drugs, if you live on near the border, then the cartels the do provide a risk to you. If you yeah. live close to the border, you've got a risk because the cartels operate near you, which means that you're in danger. Now, in Charleston, South Carolina, in New York City, probably not so much. But if you're in Tucson, Arizona, or El Paso, Texas, or San Diego, then there's very much a cartel presence there. So anybody who opposes legalization of drugs is making the choice that they would rather have cartels able to operate instead I don't of think, I don't legalized think drugs. Yeah, I don't think they're thinking like that. They're just like, but oh, that's let's the, just the, stop But I'm car. saying yeah, they, they might th- not be thinking of it like that, but that's yeah. the decision that they're making. Yeah, is, is effectively by having all drugs illegal, you're forcing us to get our drugs from somewhere else. And that's coming through cartels. The, I mean, the classic economic, uh, not economic, um, founding a business. The classic advice is find a need and fill it. The cartels have found their need, which is drugs, and they're filling it by providing drugs. Yeah. And it's wildly profitable. Well, I think you're, I, I, I don't. The solution that you gave is exactly when you said there, there is a solution. Hear me out. And I was like, this, the solution is making drugs legal. But it's making, you know, there's loads of lugs and lugs. There are loads of drugs in my system, apparently. There's loads of drugs in the United States and they're legal. But the way that we made them legal, it, it makes them expensive. You have to go through healthcare mm-hmm. and it's very convoluted. And it's just a bad system, so much so that people are buying legal drugs, drugs that like can be bought legally. They're buying them illegally in the U.S. So yeah. the U.S. has done a very poor job already with the legal drugs that we have. So and what I would say is I'm for just saying, a former like look at Colorado. Colorado deserves a lot of credit for taking the chance of fully legalizing pot. I don't smoke pot. I don't touch it. It's not my thing. But I have to appreciate what Colorado did. And now something like 22 or 23 states have legalized it because they saw that when Colorado legalized it, the only side effects were increased revenues for the state. Everything, all the bad things that the opponents said were going to happen. None of them happened. Sure. All that that happened was the state sold a shitload of pot and taxed it and was able to use it to put towards like healthcare and education. And so after Colorado ran this experiment for a year, a whole bunch of other states said, oh, we should be doing that. And now 22 or 23 other states are doing that. So you can look at what does legalization look like? If it's done intelligently, you can reduce harm and use the money that you get from taxing drug sales to put back into social support systems, healthcare, and education and 
improve the lives of the people in your state. Sure, but there, you know, I'm just like I think in New York, weed is legal, right? Marijuana is legal in New York. Um, I think recently, yes. I'm not entirely sure. I don't really follow I, it. It's, it's, Rosh says yes. Yeah, but I I don't think you can go to a regular store and buy regular strength weed yet. Um, yeah, they probably haven't developed the system yet. But like, if you go to California, like when I was in Sacramento with my family, like we walked into a dispensary and you could just buy pot. Well, I mean, we have like this weed world near my office, just called Weed World, and they play like Bob Marley music outside. And everything's got pot leaves on it, and and you know. Yeah, but can you buy the drug in the store? I yeah, I don't think you can buy real actual right. weed in the store. I can tell you that at the dispensary that we went into, they had glass cases, and you could just be like, "What's that strain? What's that strain? Oh, there's a there's a pot drink. How, what's the strength of the of the pot in there? They had all sorts of stuff. You could just buy like beer with pot in it. You could buy teas with pot in them. Yeah. You name it, you could buy it there. It was 100% legal. You walk out, you just got yourself a plastic bag like you went to the grocery store. So, but again, they're like that. It's weed. There right? was a like, cop standing outside the place, just like <laughs> protecting, protecting them from being, yeah, from getting robbed or something. Yeah, like he wasn't harassing anybody. It was uh, just like, hey guys, y'all have a good time. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, so, but what I was going to say is drugs like weed. Uh, but what what about harder drugs like fentanyl? Look to Portugal. I don't know which direction. Let me hang on. I, I got the globe here. Portugal is going to be. Uh, it's gonna, so it's like that way. I don't see anything. Right. OK, what, what am I looking for? A couple years ago, Portugal fully decriminalized all drugs. Okay. No, nothing bad happened. But people are going to use drugs regardless. All right, let me ask you this question: If heroin was legal, would you go out and buy it tomorrow? No, but I'll bet you a lot. Of, I'll bet you there'd be a decent amount more people that would try it. I don't think so. You don't think so? I can tell you right now that if I could buy heroin tomorrow, I wouldn't. And the yeah. same goes for any drug. But also, but you, if you're legalizing something, you there has to be a supply chain that actually is legal as well. And that's, I think, I think that's like weed is legal in New York and New Jersey, but there's no supply chain yet for it. So that's, that's where it, well, that's a logistical problem. That's not a legal problem. Yes, but, uh, but they still haven't implemented this, this supply chain. So there's, there's still a lot of illegal drugs coming in because of that. My view is that the harm of criminalizing drugs far outweighs the harm that drugs actually do. Because we like, I would like to, I just, I would have to say, congratulations to drugs for winning the war on drugs. I've heard that before, but they are definitely, they're definitely winning the war on drugs. Because look at, like, first of all, the societal cost to, criminalized drugs is that you've got tons of people in prison or with crippling fines for drugs. People are still using drugs. And the the biggest problem that we have right now in this country is with opioids. How did that start? Yeah, well, that started with legal drugs. Yeah. 
and you know but it was also drugs that were represented as non-addictive they weren't accurately represented the company that was marketing them said this is not addictive you're, you're totally fine to take this well, so did they was say people, it wasn't addictive or no they, they just... totally did that was how it was marketed interesting it was marketed as a better alternative to drugs like hydrocodone which is lortab or morphine yeah um it was supposed to be a non-dependency building opioid well i heard their the families of of these drug companies are being sued now um, there's a really interesting court case going on right now where um, Purdue Pharma is the one that gets all the attention because they're the one who marketed Oxycontin, which is mm-hmm. the progenitor for the entire opioid crisis. And the the family that owned Purdue Pharma, the Sackler family, um, they're negotiating a bankruptcy deal for Purdue Pharma. And as part of the bankruptcy filing, if it's ratified by, I guess, the other side, whoever, like, I don't know all the details, but basically as part of this bankruptcy agreement, Purdue Pharma is going to pay a couple billion dollars to various states, but as like incentive for the Sackler family to sign off on this, their carrot is that they will be (laughs) not personally liable for anything. Because right now there's, there's, hundreds of lawsuits against the Sackler family in addition to lawsuits against Purdue Pharma. And if yeah. this bankruptcy deal is approved and goes into effect, then the family will be shielded from all of these lawsuits. All of them will be dismissed because they'll be legally protected. Yeah. Well, my, my mind isn't quite made up how I feel about the family being that involved. Obviously there's some key players that probably, you know, had some big effects and and well but, another thing but, but is, well, well hang on hear me out i, I think there's a lot of people probably in this family that are going to be affected by it that i mean sure they probably had very rich lavish lives not that they earned it that but you know you're born into whatever that you didn't yourself earn uh and, and a lot of a lot of that is likely to be stripped away from them so you know a lot of people are going to have pity on them but i do kind of feel bad that that something that was out of their control yeah, I don't know. I, but, I, but I don't know the specifics. Of it. I'm just saying kind of in theory, you know, being part of imagine being part of a rich family and then they're just kind of the target of these giant lawsuits for something that someone else in the family was doing. No, 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 no. Am I am I off key on this one? Yes. If you okay. were part of the family, then you directly benefited, even if you weren't engaging in malfeasance you directly benefited from those around you who did because you also got the billions of dollars. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm saying, yeah. And now, you know, that's become your life and now you're kind of getting fucked. It's, it's uh, Whoa upon the billionaires, but that's my point is I feel bad for them. And I'm not Why? I, I, because they had nothing to do with it. Sure. They it were didn't... being given, they were being given money. It's kind of, you know, it's it's like the accomplice type situation. You know, maybe you didn't really know what you were into. Maybe you were completely unaware. And then your friend robbed a store. And now you're being chased by the cops. And you're like, fuck, I'm, I'm in the car too. Like, I didn't, I, I mean, I get, yeah, I know my friends weren't great. Like, I know my friends weren't great. I didn't really know what they were doing in the store yet. Like, I knew they probably weren't up to any good. But but now I'm doing the same thing as them because I'm, I'm also in the car. Like, 
fuck i am fucked like that's i wasn't i didn't i didn't sign on for this like i was yeah, just, i was I, just in the car you know with them I, no, I they made billions of dollars even if all these lawsuits go through they'll still be fine mm-hmm. all right well look uh we're we're running towards the end i wanted to share the the two uh did you read through you read through some of that article i sent you earlier with the like 1960s and 70s food trends yeah, it seems like just put random, like put Jello, put everything in Jello. This is awesome. Hang on, let me. Uh, um, the Jello, so Jello was really this this pretty hardcore recurring theme. So I want to share with you guys some 1960s and 70s kind of food trends. Uh, Rosh is really pushing the spam, which I wonder when spam. I mean, let me do a, a shared spam in the chat. He, he is, he is. Let me do a shared screen. I'm gonna get you guys on here. Uh, let's see. You can check the, the old desktop here. Get rid of this one. Um, all right. You can see all the crap I got on my desktop. If you're, if you're watching live. So I got the, uh, the Vogue diet here. Let's see. Let me throw this up on the screen. So we got this Vogue diet. Um, it's the, it's the wine diet. <laughs> and you can lose five pounds in three days is uh, the idea of the diet. So breakfast yeah, but is it's all water weight that you're losing. <laughs> but the fact that they, the fact that it would every year they're going to print this is, is brilliant. So um, can we talk about the Amazon sidewalk? All right. I want to talk about that in a second. I have no idea what they're talking about living the good life. Um, but breakfast, one egg, hard boiled, one glass of white wine, preferably dry, Chablis and black coffee. Lunch, two eggs. Hard boiled is best, but poached if necessary. <laughs> I like how they've had, but only if ne- if you if you must if you're sick of the hard boiled and you need you need to change the style, you can poach your egg. Two glasses of white wine. No specificity specificity on the uh, on the on the white wine for your lunch, followed by black coffee. Okay, and then. On. And then your your dinner, are you calculating calories here? Yeah. Okay. Let me let me hit the dinner, and then if you get the calorie count, you know. So dinner is going to be a five ounce steak. They don't tell you what type of steak. I like how they've <laughs> poached, if necessary, hard boiled, preferably a a chablis. Uh, but but what the actual food, the steak, is just any steak is fine. So a five ounce grilled steak with black pepper and lemon juice remainder of white wine you're allowed one bottle per day followed by black coffee because everyone knows at dinner you should follow the black coffee okay so we're going to estimate the total calories in the bottle of white wine at 750 that's kind of right in the middle be like 450 to 1200 calories per per wine depending on the amount of sugar in it and also the amount of alcohol. So we're going to split the middle and we're going to say 750. So each egg is 80 calories. So you're at about a thousand calories. So we're at a thousand, five ounces of steak. We're going to calculate that right now. So this is a brilliant diet. 270 calories per 100 grams. So take 50% of that. That's 400 calories of steak. So you're at about a 1500 calorie a day diet. And you're getting to drink a bottle of wine. Half of which those <laughs> calories. 
that's not a that's not a bad diet. And and but I I just love oh, that. That's a terrible diet. That's not that bad. I could do that. Uh, all right. I, Go ahead. <laughs> you know what? Please do that for the next three days. Do it. Do it over the weekend, and then come back to us on Tuesday and let me know how you feel. And also weigh yourself at the beginning of the diet and then weigh yourself at the end. Let us know if you hit the five pound target. Uh, I got to look up. I got to look up exactly what year this is. Vogue printed this diet in the 70s. I really want to get to the bottom of this diet, but no, I just I want you I to like, do it. I may. I may. I want to find some more information. Now. I may try this diet if I can, if I can find the actual like the episode that it came out, like where it was written, what the context of it was. But I just I love how it's written. It's not even just it's it's just the way you know it's Raj the attention to pregnant women are told it's okay to drink up the two glasses of red wine a day. Of course, because it's not enough alcohol to affect the fetus. Who cares? It, but my point is just the the attention to detail in certain aspects of the one hard boiled, and then they're just, you know oh god. All right, now I got I got one more ad I want to show you. This one this one I like is a butter ad. <laughs> and, the, and the butter, the butter ad reads, the butter ad reads, butter, good and good for you. Nutrition tip. Butter is slippery. That's why we eat as much as possible to lubricate the arteries and the veins. Yeah, that's an amazing ad. <laughs> it's a, this can't be real. This can't be real. Um, I'm sure I, I'm very curious if this if this is. Uh, I kind of want to get a print out of that and put it in our kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> if you could turn that into like a classy if you could turn that into a classy like a uh framed poster yeah but yeah like an action like a wooden frame you hang it on the oh wall. yeah i think that could look uh i think that could look pretty cool <laughs> rosh is saying he's seen butter sticks fried in charleston south carolina you can find that at any county fair yeah i've never seen fried butter anywhere I've seen fried oreos which actually aren't that bad but- fried ice cream yeah, I yeah I've heard. It. I don't I don't know. I've seen fried ice cream, but I imagine I've it, seen it at the restaurant you, I worked at. We used to sit, serve it. It was really good. I mean, um, fried fried anything for the most part is is pretty good. You know, it tastes like oil and and whatever that's flavor. You know, whatever is being fried is is flavored like. But but fried butter. I mean, you. Hmm. I want, to be, I want you to try the, the the white wine diet. Do that for three days. Check back with me. I wonder. Yeah, you know, I'm down for this. Let's if if you can find if you can find when this was from. If anybody can find this wine diet and when it was from and send it to me, I uh, I may Where consider. It's from the '70s. You don't need to find out when it's from. You've got the recipes in front of you. This is not complicated. I'll buy you the Chablis. I'm just saying. I'm not necessarily something I it's something I want to do, but it, but if I can find out a little bit more and, and and read a little more about it and follow my intrigue into where this came from, um, I, I'd be down to do it. Uh, but on that note, we're, we we uh, we're hitting the end here. So I wanted to thank you guys for joining us. I want to thank Rosh, who uh, who's manning, manning all the comments. He's watching your comments. Uh, so we appreciate that. Rosh, thank you for that. He's feeding us everybody's comments. Um, we're going to wrap up, and we will continue next week. We'll uh, we'll try to follow up on some of the stuff we talked about today. Find out about what it looks like in California. Let's um, get a double dip of the derv next week. We'll, we, we'll see if we can bring him on, and and uh, and hopefully he uh, he behaves. So uh, 
on that note, uh, I will awkwardly dismount and uh, I will catch you later. Thank you, Raj. Thank you, James. Cheers. Adios. All right, homies, that concludes the episode talking about stocks among a gazillion other things. Let me know your thought and uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. See you then. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.